From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. It's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us wherever you're listening in this great world of ours. Uh, We are the Bishop's Radio Hour, and this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're glad to welcome in cross-country, long-distance, Lincoln Snyder, the president and CEO of the National Catholic Education Association, the NCEA. Lincoln, good day. Hey, good day. Great to be talking to you. Good, good, to, good to hear your voice again. Lincoln, of course, was the uh, uh, superintendent of schools here in the Diocese of Sacramento for a number of years, in addition to all kinds of other things in your life. Uh, now uh, uh, back in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, Tell us, just give us an overview of what the NCEA does. Well, the NCEA is the trade association for all of our Catholic schools. So we were founded in 1904 uh, and uh, represent the schools themselves. So we work um, with the USCCB, which is the Bishops Association. So that's the Association of the Bishops. We're the Association of the Schools themselves, and so we include uh, diocesan, parochial, uh, religious order, and independent Catholic schools within our association. Virtually every school in every state. Yes, exactly. So we've got schools in all 50 states, uh, District of Columbia, Guam, and Puerto Rico, among other places. Wow. Wow. That's quite, <laughs> that's quite a task. Uh, have you gotten around to all 50 states? You know, I have not made every single state so far, but, you know, in the process of moving from Sacramento to uh, D.C., I, I did have the opportunity to take, uh, I think, three cross-country trips Mm -hmm. and afforded me a chance to drop in on a lot of places. So I've visited Albuquerque and uh, Lubbock, Texas, and uh, New Orleans and all sorts of places in between. Did you learn how to spell Albuquerque? Uh, Please, let's not quiz me on that during the show. I would figure (laughs) it out. Okay. Yeah, it's it, you know it's just wonderful to see uh, you know the universality of our of our faith and and some of the the subtle regional differences uh, that you'll find uh, all over the country. I'll bet. Oh, absolutely. You know, so we have um, our our map of the schools is divided into fourteen regions, just like uh, you know the bishops divide up the country for the USCCB. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, we have every size and shape of school. We have everything from schools with 30 children and three staff to schools of 2,000 kids and 200 staff. So, um, you know, truly, uh, Catholic schools come in a lot of varieties. We're like, we're like Baskin Robbins. We've got, we've got all sorts of flavors. Is there, are there any states that don't have Catholic schools? I can't imagine there's a state that wouldn't have at least one Catholic school. Every state has a Catholic school. Even though, I mean, we have states, uh, several that may be borderline Catholic majority states, and some that are down in the single digits in terms of... Yeah, that's true. You know, so some of our states, for example, are only one diocese for the whole state because right. states aren't traditionally Catholic, like our, our good friends in the Diocese of Salt Lake. That right. encompasses the entire state, or our friends in Little Rock encompasses right. the entire state. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, we've seen a lot of growth. Actually, the biggest growth percentage-wise in recent years has been in those states that weren't traditionally yes. Catholic. Yes, Utah especially, yeah. Absolutely. So we're seeing tremendous growth in territories that um, that weren't Catholic before, but uh, Florida, for example, I mean, obviously it has a tremendous uh, legacy because of, of um, 
Spanish uh, uh, right. colonization of right. Florida, but really it was not Catholic per se for a lot of years in lots of parts of the state, and we're seeing tremendous growth uh, in Florida right now. Yeah, isn't uh, St. Augustine the, uh, I know that we, we call it Augustine, but uh, St. Augustine, uh, Florida, I think is what the oldest city in America, I believe. Yes, and the oldest uh, Catholic schools are in that diocese. So, right. I mean, it depends on how we define it. You know, right. Everybody likes to have the claim to being the oldest, but, uh, you know, the oldest continually operating school is in New Orleans. Wow. That's uh, right. So, go to 300-year-old uh, school for, for young women. Uh, of course, we're very proud of Mount Man- St. Mary Academy right in the diocese. Absolutely, we oldest. are. I think the oldest uh, west of the Mississippi, at least. Precisely. Yeah. Uh, depending on how you slice up the record, different people can claim it, but I mean, the truth is we have we have a lot of uh, Catholic schools that have served their communities for centuries and others that are brand new, and they're doing great by their communities. I, I've always found it amusing in my small hometown here in, in Northern California. Any building over 50 years is con- considered historic. <laughs> Going, uh, they, I, they haven't been to other parts of the world. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. You know, it's interesting uh, uh, being here in Virginia. You know, we, we just, uh, I just had dinner with the principal of uh, the Basilica, Basilica School in, uh, mm-hmm. in Alexandria, Virginia, and George Washington laid that cornerstone. So wow. There's, uh, interestingly enough, so he was an alderman um, at the uh, now Episcopalian Church here in Falls Church, Virginia, but laid the cornerstone for the first Catholic church and as well as uh, funded, uh, wrote a check for the first Jewish synagogue. So, uh, he, um, you know, the, the religious uh, pluralism has been an important part of the republic since the beginning, so it's, it's fun to travel around some of these older, older towns and, and see how, even if Catholic schools and populations weren't in the majority, how they have been around for, for a very long time. And have we, have we determined whether in the state of Maryland it was named after the Virgin Mary or somebody else? Uh, I believe so. It's indirectly by the Queen of England, but uh, I haven't taught world history in a while, so I might be getting that one wrong. <laughs> it sounds like an amusement park uh, devoted to the Blessed Mother, Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... Lincoln, like one, two, three, four, five. What, what are you, you know, what, what are your hands in? What are your top duties? What do you, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Well, okay. So as far as the association itself, the things that keep us busy in the day-to-day, because we are an association for the schools, um, we do a lot of professional development and adult education around mm-hmm. the, the issues of the day, and in particular religious formation. Teachers can get PD from a lot, professional development from a lot of sources, but uh, MTA has been trusted to support, especially in that that religious education and formation area for a long time. Uh, We do public policy work, uh, in particular behind the scenes on on Capitol Hill in partnership with our friends at USCCB, so they're the lobbyists, but we do bring expertise in the area of uh, things like um, how uh, education law is actually written, and so um, and making sure that we're preserving all of our students' rights and interests with things like title funding, which is mm-hmm. um, very important to support supporting children, especially children from disadvantaged backgrounds, um, and federal lunch programs, and all sorts of other programs that have, you know, again provided provided for kids of lesser means that are under some pressure right now. So we work hard behind the scenes on that. Um, and then we're the keepers of the census. So we have a data and research department uh, that looks really closely at the numbers of how our schools and school system are um, developing nationally. 
So when you speak of, of laws or legislation that can or maybe intentionally affect Catholic schools uh, one way or another, is that more at the state level or at the federal level? It's at both. Though, you know, so at the federal level, it's particularly thorny because if a school is a direct recipient of federal funds, as far as the legislation understands it, uh, that would impact our ability to, for us to uh, use hiring practices in keeping with our mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, the, if a school were to be the direct recipient of funds, it may find it, itself um, limited to hiring practices but aren't in keeping with, with the right. teaching of the UNCCD. Right? So we have to really thread a needle on that one where you know, we do advocate strongly for our students receiving funding through title programs, which has always been understood not to be money going to the school but going to the kid, Right. which is great. So we very much support those programs. Uh, but we have to work very hard on a lot of points to make sure that our schools don't become understood as direct recipients of those funds because that would impact our religious liberty. Right. Understood. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it, it's it's clear that if, if you provide funding uh, to one child for, for whatever need, whether it's food or uh, maybe a child has a disability of some sort, um, you'd have to provide it to another one, even if that one is in Catholic school, because you're not donating to the school, you're, don- you're not donating, you're, you're, you're providing it to the, not to the school, but to the child. Yes, precisely. And so we're, um, you know, we, we work closely on these uh, programs where the, the funding follows the child. Uh, we see that at the state level, too, now, that, that we, um, we don't do direct advocacy at the state level, but we do, you know, our, our main role is that a convener. We like bringing people together from all across the country to have conversations about what's good and right for our schools. And we're seeing a lot of state programs, not in California, that are providing things like tax credit scholarships, like in Arizona, right. or, um, or 529 plans. Uh, those are college savings plans that, that are in California, but they're being expanded, um, things like them, uh, to also provide for elementary and high school as well. So. Uh, different states are managing these things in different ways. Um, you know, this has not reached our great state of California yet in terms of the legislature there um, considering any programs, but over 30 states nationally do have programs where the students do benefit from some choice dollars where their parents can choose to apply money to, to send them to school of their choice. So do you get into the school choice issue very much in terms of uh, lobbying? Uh, you know, so we don't lobby directly. Our friends at the USCCB do. They and do this most, is yeah. a point of, They do, and this is a point of teaching for the Catholic Church. So the, the Catholic Church um, does, as, as just a matter of policy as church internationally, believe that parents are the primary educators, that right. they have the right to select the best education for their child, and to be supported in that choice. And so, um, you know, in, in in the United States, that looks like that looks like, for example, the the bishop supporting uh, choice programs at the state or the federal level. Although internationally, you know, of course, um, you go to the Netherlands or to Belgium or to European countries. Um, there's Catholic schools there that are operating um, with money they've received uh, from the government. Mm-hmm. Australia and New Zealand as well, for example. So, right. uh, you know, the the American system is pretty unique in the way it's set up um, with the traditional um, district model. Um, most other places have way more variety in their schools, other countries, and, and we're seeing a lot of that trend coming into uh, play in the United States now, too, at the state level. 
Is is there an international NCEA? Is there is there somebody overseeing Catholic schools in all countries? That's a great question. Yes, there is a Vatican office, and now it's called the Dicastery. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and there is a prefect of the Dicastery, so I don't know if you're a Danny K fan, but that is an actual <laughs> job title within our great church, a prefect of the Dicastery. And the Dicastery um, uh, oversees, there's one particular one that oversees education internationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, our church is a bottom-up organization, and so even within the Vatican, uh, that office that, that is responsible for having the full view of international education, uh, preschool through college, has 24 employees. Wow. So wow. Our, our church runs very lean and mean with its bureaucracy. Um, the, the church believes really strongly that control needs to be devolved to the lowest level practicable, and we see that. So uh, your, your national association, the NCEA, has 24 employees. Um, coordinating things at the national level. So we run Lean and Mean, and, and the Holy See does too. You know, it's, it's subsidiarity, but, you know, it's, it's contrary to popular opinion. Who, who I, I talk to people who aren't Catholic, and they think, oh, it's, it's top-down. You know, nobody moves unless the Pope says this. You know, and you're like, actually, we're, we're way down here at the parish level, you know. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's a bottom-up church, yep. and, uh, you know, we just see that by the number of staff at a lot of these offices. Um, you know, we, uh, the church is um, surprisingly unbureaucratic considering its reach, which I, you know, I, I know some of your callers don't start calling. You know, that's, uh, yeah. but I'll stand by that statement because uh, within the diocesan offices and then at the, even at the Holy See, um, you know, the church, the church runs lean and mean, but the power is at the local level. What are what are your the biggest challenges to Catholic education? It's a great question. You know, if you had asked five years ago, we would have said enrollment. You know, we see we saw a long term um, decline in enrollment over the last twenty years as, um, for a variety of reasons. But the last two years, the enrollment stabilized for Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. We actually saw an uptick two years in a row. We, you know, we're again NCEA is the keeper of the census, and so we're we're uh, going to find out very soon where we are this year. We're going to start that process next month. But, um, you know, the biggest challenge right now in education in general is um, our teaching force. So uh, there's only about half as many students in teacher preparation programs now as there were 20 years ago. Wow. Nationally. It's for public, private, everybody. Wow. And so um, if you ask a principal today, they're looking forward at the numbers and they're um, concerned about where they're going to find the next generation of teachers for their students. You know, so uh, it's, it seems that the enrollment issue... Uh, um, again, we've, we've seen successes there, and, and now our biggest concern is making sure we're finding not just teachers, but you know, people that can really be role models and instruct in the faith, too. You know, for us as the church, um, you know, we have non-Catholic um, teachers teaching in the Catholic system that are very supportive of everything we do. Uh, my mother was one of them, so hi, Mom. Um, but uh, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, the, the bishops are very intent on also making sure that we have well-formed Catholic teachers in front of our students. and. You know, that goal is a lot smaller right now for a variety of reasons, so you know, we're, we're working on that. Wow, that's, I, I didn't realize there was going the, the, a looming teacher shortage. Um, that's uh, troubling a little bit. So the, the conventional wisdom was uh, that the Catholic schools got open after or during COVID quicker. Uh, they, maybe they were more nimble, uh, maybe, maybe more mission-oriented uh, and got open. 
and uh, a lot of people, including uh, our across-the-street neighbor whose kids had been in public schools, and, and I'll never knock the public schools, but uh, they weren't open, and they, they really were going stir-crazy, and they managed to get a place for their child at uh, St. James in Davis, and, uh, and they fell in love with it. And, and so they, they you know, they, they uh, were part of that enrollment spike, if you will, and then they stayed with it. Yes, and that's the story nationally. So most of those gains in enrollment were in the lowest young grades, the youngest grades mm-hmm. as well. So kindergarten, first, second. And so right. we know that we're going to have these students with us for a very long time. Um, you know, I'm proud to say that our retention rates remain well into the 90s. Um, and so the families that came are staying years on from having made that decision. You know, we, we're very proud of the fact that, that um, even if some of these families perhaps weren't Catholic themselves or didn't, they didn't come for the faith as the primary reason, once they discovered our faith communities, um, they stayed with us even though their children could have returned to a public school. Yeah, and that's, that's certainly the story I've heard over and over again. And we, we hear, and in occasion there will be these almost alarmist stories about how much progress was lost for the average kid during COVID, uh, certain grades more severe than others. How how has how did COVID in terms of learning affect the Catholic schools? Not nearly as much. So this is uh, you know we we felt very strongly at the time that that had, having the kids remain in class and uh, was the right decision to make, and the academic number numbers bear that out. So Catholic schools performed the best of any major system in the United States during COVID, um, and, and some and not our kids are a little bit behind really by a couple percentile, so uh-huh. it's, it's something that we have to pay attention to. So it's, it, Our performance wasn't exactly the same as if there hadn't been COVID, but it's also something that we know that we and our students can recover from with, right. with uh, the, right, the right, right investment and the right work. Are there um, remedial things going on to make that up? Yeah, so the, the way that we look at this is that you know, in, in any given year, there are certain things you simply have to learn to move on to the next year. And so if you think of a house, you have some walls that are load-bearing and other walls that are architectural walls, right? So you can build a house um, with the load-bearing walls only, but you couldn't build it with only the architectural partition walls. Right. right? So in other words, our schools are focusing right now on the load-bearing walls, making sure that our students are learning those most critical things to keep them on track and going. Um, because uh, you know, remediation as such doesn't isn't really all that effective um you know there's taking holding a kid back and then spending an entire reteaching the material um you know that there's some downsides to that whereas we know that if we really focus on teaching the essentials to get the kids to the next station uh, on their journey is the important focus uh and you know the good news is our catholic schools are pretty close to the mark and so we're we're confident that we can keep our kids uh, on track especially those youngest ones the more time we have the more we can make sure we make up that ground that, that was lost during the pandemic. Is it fair to say that most Catholic high schools are, are you know, their, their college prep is, a, uh, you know, a, not the only priority, certainly, but a, a top priority? It is. And, you know, after the, after the Second World War in particular, as, as uh, the Catholic Church and the Catholic school system were supporting kids coming out of, um, out of the communities that, that you know, they were in, they, they, there really was a very strong focus on college prep, and our Catholic schools have been very successful in doing that. 
You know, I will say there's a really exciting movement right now with a couple of schools popping up in places like Galveston, Houston, um, or uh, Stewart, Florida, that are um, modern vocational schools. You know, so mm-hmm. there's some excellent, excellent, excellent jobs in industry right now with um, programs that, that don't um, require necessarily a traditional four-year degree, but still make for great careers, you know, especially in the context of a Catholic school where, where um Kids are learning the, the, the right value. So we're talking about everything from um, ele- electronic laser operators to, to medical careers. Uh, and, um, you know, the church, different ministries within the church are trying to find that right balance of, okay, maybe there's um, not that we're walking away from college prep, but we very, believe very strongly in it, uh, but maybe there's an additional opportunity there, too, with, with uh, some of these modern vocations that make for excellent careers. Boy, that's that's excellent. That, that That's very heartening. Uh you know, uh, I, I, I see the differences in my own kids. I see the differences in my own neighborhood. And sometimes sometimes I think the quote-unquote vocational kids get left behind. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, you'll see a, the, the local high school, uh, you know, at, at the end of the year, the, the student paper publishes where are all these kids going to college, you know, and it's always the big addition and all these different schools they're going to. And there's there's probably 20, 30% that aren't going to college. Absolutely. Or if they do go to college, you know, so I have a um, son majoring in, in IT and was studying uh, mm-hmm. cybersecurity and cloud computing, and the counselor at his college uh, told me that their biggest barrier to completing their education was getting hired within one to two years of starting the program. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah so the, you know, the job market is, is evolving and times are changing, and, you know, we see our schools trying to, Make sure we're serving our Catholic communities with uh, with with uh, the best education we can. Very, very good. What you know? Do you do you collaborate with public schools with public school administrators, et cetera? Not too much with our public school friends. Uh, we do collaborate a lot uh, with our friends from other faiths um, mm-hmm. uh, in in areas where you know it serves our common interest to talk. So there's a um, this is very uh, Washingtonian. There's an association of associations of <laughs> <laughs> private schools, and uh, yeah, you know, our, our friends from Jewish education and Lutheran education, and and um, uh, the Quaker schools. You know, so we uh, uh, Muslim schools. We uh, we come together with them when when um, you know we we do see common cause, and it's these are very healthy ecumenical relationships. We completely respect our differences of, of faith, um, but there are times that we see that you know for us is as private schools, there's there's good cause for us to work together. So yeah, we do, we do see uh, that's our version of working across the aisle. What would be the second largest uh, school system uh, from a religious group behind the Catholic Church in, in the oh, United H-C-S-I, States? HCSI, Association of Christian Schools International. So uh-huh. our friends that, that oversee our non-denominational and evangelical Christian schools, and there's there's a couple in Sacramento, so that that's the second biggest association by now. What would be a name like Capital Christian? Something like Capital Christian, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Precisely. Wow. And uh, do 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 the Lutheran Church have? Uh, occasionally, I'll see a uh, usually looking at the soccer rankings or something, and I'll see somebody Lutheran or uh, usually Lutheran is the next one I see. Yes, uh, a lot of Lutheran schools in the United States. Uh, Especially on the East Coast, our, our friends in the, um, in the Jewish faith have a, a right. vibrant network of schools. Right. And so, um, but yeah, when we, um, you know, very, very often when our advocacy teams work, um, it's kind of like the old joke that the, and this is true, you know, the religious 
sister, the, the, the rabbi, and the, uh, the Protestant minister walk into a congressman's office and talk about politics. So, uh, you know, it's very, um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's um, good collaboration with our friends from other faiths because um, we all share an interest in making sure we're preserving uh, religious liberty and, and an ability to deliver an education for our respective nations. It sounds like, uh, as you were here in Sacramento, like you're in your element, uh, that uh, you have your fingers in a lot of pies and are thoroughly um, immersed. Well, I'm blessed for the opportunity. Miss Sacramento very much. Uh, much of my family is still there, and I don't get back nearly as, as often as I should. So I'm just very uh, grateful for Sacramento, and um, you know, it's definitely home and always will be. Uh, very, very well said. Lincoln, always always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for all the great work you do, and uh, hope our paths cross again soon. Absolutely. Always happy to be on. Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks, Lincoln. God bless. That's uh, Lincoln Snyder, the exec- uh, not the executive director, the president and CEO of uh, the NCEA, the National Catholic Education Association, responsible in many ways for uh, Catholic education uh, throughout the uh, United States partnering, of course, with the uh, U.S. Uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops. You know, uh, Bishop Soto and uh, a, a wonderful contingent from uh, Sacramento have have returned from uh, World Youth Day and uh, uh, in in Lisbon, Portugal, earlier this month, and uh, shared one of his reflections. Which uh, when the bishop travels, he always uh, on a pilgrimage, he always. Uh, send some wonderful dispatches, and you can you can find all of them at scd.org and and look under news or events, and you'll see uh, uh, the bishop's reflections. This one um, was accompanied by a beautiful photo of uh, uh, Pope Francis uh, arriving at Tejo Park in Lisbon for the clothing the closing World Youth Day Mass on August the sixth. Uh, the bishop writes one of the environmental blessings. That one of the environmental blessings of these few days in Lisbon has been the cool coastal breezes. These refreshing currents have made walking much easier and more preferable to driving. Due to the arrival of the Holy Father, street closures have frustrated vehicular movement, while the crowds of youth waving all kinds of flags and banners conquered the streets with their growing numbers. Thursday evening, young Catholics gathered at the main park of Lisbon. Is it, a, it is a large slope looking over the city, it sweeps down into one of the principal avenues of the capital, Avenida Liberdade, Liberty Avenue. The Avenida is a beautiful tree-lined street with cobblestone sidewalks upon which one can stroll down to the bustling harbor promenade. The organizers of World Youth Day use this marvelous harmony of urban design and geography as the meeting point for the Pope Francis and Catholic youth from around the world on Thursday. Uh, from around the world. On Thursday, the young men and women filled the park and flowed down the avenue. The main stage was set up at the highest point of the park. A series of huge jumbotrons and speakers were positioned down the park and along the avenue, all the way to the harbor. As the Pope Mobile began to wind its way through the streets, a multitude of cameras scattered across the campus of the park and floating overhead in drones transmitted to the jumbotrons the approach of the Holy Father as well as the plurality of faces and festivities restless with anticipation. The energy in the crowd mounted as Pope Francis drew near to the park. The enthusiasm created its own electricity that sparked spontaneous cheers and songs uh, and throughout the crowd. 
different sections attempted to out-sing, out-cheer, out, or out-wave the others. This only encouraged more of the same. All this culminated with the Holy Father taking his place on the main stage and on all the jumbotrons arrayed down the park, along the Avenida, all the way to the harbor. With his quiet, calming voice, he united the bolsterous multitude. In nome de Pio, e Deo Filo, e do Espirito Santo, amen, the sign of the cross in Portuguese. The welcoming ceremony was a simple prayer service, enriched with song and dance offered by a diverse youthful ensemble. As the beginning theme was concluding, along the front of stage, sharp bursts of colored paper streamers were released into the afternoon breeze. The kaleidoscopic fury, flurry, the kaleidoscopic flurry of streamers were caught by the breeze and carried away. Some floated over Holy Father on the stage. Others fluttered over the arch-stretched arms, waving, clapping, and praying. Some tangled with towers holding speakers and jumbotrons, wiggling and snapping in the open air. The constant breeze kept some of them afloat during the ceremony, swooping up and down over the park, providing a vivid testimony to nature's harmony with the assembly's prayers. That's the uh, uh, one of the several uh, wonderful uh, dispatches from uh, Bishop Jaime Soto there with a group of pilgrims uh, at World Youth Day in Lisbon. And uh, you can read all of his dispatches. Uh, World Youth Day has, has uh, concluded last week, but you can read all of his uh, dispatches uh, from Lisbon at scd.org. There will be a, uh, a handicapples, handicap, Handicapables is an outreach ministry to assist elderly and disabled persons to attend Mass by providing transportation and other support. Uh, other support, Handicapables, is providing a mass and gathering celebration at the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament Sunday, August 20th at the 10 a.m. Mass. A tour of the Cathedral, a light meal, and social gathering will be provided following the Mass. Uh, those interested in attending either as a participant or volunteer, please contact Deacon David Cabrera. Deacon uh, David is at 916-541-5201 or Della Cabrera at 916-801-8657. Well, we are uh, very fortunate uh, to sit down with uh, 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 our fellow, uh, fellow uh, uh, deacon and uh, talk about the uh, uh, Mass, uh, Deacon Greg uh, McAvoy Jensen, to uh, talk about the, the various stages of the Mass, and, and we divided it up into four parts. And we have brought to you the first three parts, and now we will bring you the fourth part, our interview with Deacon Greg McAvoy Jensen. Series, yes. Drawing to I, a close. And you, you brought the wonderful book again? Yeah, the Roman Missal. The can't, Roman go, Missal. can't leave home without that if yes. we're going to be talking about liturgy. Uh, if you carry it under one arm, it will be uh, stronger than the other arm. You'll, you'll, you'll <laughs> grow to be lopsided. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you'll have Popeye arms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed. Well, good. Good to see you. Um, we we've uh, we're running this series of uh, uh, about the mass, and now we're. Uh, I think we just fi we, we're going to talk about posture communion and things like that to, right. to begin with. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We were right in the middle of uh, talking about re the reception right. of Holy Communion right. in our last uh, meeting. So this time, uh, 
as people come up for communion, uh, you know, the the norm for receiving communion now in the Latin church is to, to stand. We don't uh, refuse people who kneel. They have right. that individually, but that's not the uh, the norm. The norm right. is standing and uh, with a head bow, not right. a not a bow at the waist, but just a, a mm-hmm. head bow so mm-hmm. you're not hitting the person in front of you right. if they're right. still uh, moving out of the right. way or clanking into the the communion holding the vessel, or the vessel holding the communion, but a simple head bow bending at the neck as we receive uh, communion. And uh, the minister, of course, is saying the body of Christ or the blood of Christ. It may be interesting to note that they don't say this is the body Mm -hmm. of Christ, Mm -hmm. even though that's part of what they're uh, implying right. in, in that statement. Did we cover this already? Maybe we did. No, I don't um, think so. Okay. Yeah. But it, they're also, I mean, also implied in that statement is an action, right? Receive the right. body of Christ. It's right. not just something for you to see. Right. Uh, it's something for you to receive as a gift from God the Father. Right. And uh, But it, it, it even implies more than that. It's really also saying, uh, it's a reminder um, of, of our a challenge to us, the invitation to us to become right. the body of Christ. Right. Uh, and further, uh, when they say the body of Christ, it also really means uh, it, it recalls our baptism and mm-hmm. our core identity already. Right. You know, you are the body of Christ. Right. So uh, all of that comes together in this sacred moment of communion, communion with uh, the Lord Jesus, communion with the Holy Trinity, and, and communion with one another as we're gathered there in the church throughout the world and throughout time. It's, uh, and it's, we're, it's we're, hard to hold it all in mind. It, it is really, you know, it's so it's so overwhelming really and and just recently we're we're back to having the chalice exactly and, yes uh, um you know this wasn't the first time that happened very frequently during the flu season we'd we'd see it uh, they were only going to and the bishop had a good piece um about uh both you know both speed both bread and wine and uh body and blood and that either or is complete, but doing both is even be- even better, if you will. Yeah, uh, and and we can talk more about com- more complete somehow. Yeah. So so we can talk about that in terms of what it is. Mm-hmm. So either one in and of itself is uh, Christ. So right. uh, there's no there's no problem. And if someone for any reason is uncomfortable or medically unable to receive both then they uh, can rest in confidence knowing that either one, either one. Uh, has, has brought them the, the fullness um, of the sacramental presence of Christ. But liturgy affects us. Liturgy forms us. And it does so through the, uh, many different ways, but including it, it included in that is the symbolic, is the power of the use of symbols. So mm-hmm. when we say this is the blood of the covenant, that sinks in in a different way sure. if you're going to receive from that blood of right. the covenant. Uh, and so it's, yes, the, the, the fullness of the symbol affects how we are formed by the liturgy. Right. So that's the benefit, I think, really. Right. And, you know, it, it, it is interesting that, you, you know, you use this, the term symbol because there's that, that we, we see the Pew Research and all these, these polls and things saying how many people believe this is the real presence, how many believe it's a symbol, it can be both. It definitely is the real body and blood of Christ, but it, it also is symbolic of that in terms of, of it goes back to the Last Supper, of course, and 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 it, it's an it's it's unfortunate. I, I, I sometimes think these polls are unfortunate uh, yeah. um, because 
it's really not up for debate. It's, it is what it is, no matter what you believe. <laughs> it is the body and blood of Christ, whether you don't think it is. Uh, but and uh, the, the Eucharistic, you know, revival, um, I think, is a wonderful, wonderful thing ongoing now. And I, I know that's not the only reason we're doing it, but hopefully that will let people know. I mean, I, I you know, I can have that discussion with my own children, you know, say, and if they if they think I don't believe it, they're probably not going to believe it. Mm, yeah. If they think dad and mom they really believe this we better go a little deeper on this that's right that's right there's lots to learn about the real presence of what the church uh, means by that Uh, and what you've said is very uh, precise i think that we uh, you know catholics always come back to this and there's so much that we hold together at the same time belief in uh, the in transubstantiation belief in the fact that the uh, the the what were bread and wine have become the body and blood of Christ, and also the the belief that uh, the Eucharist works through the sign, the symbol mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that's present. If you open up your catechism to the section on the Eucharist, there's a whole section there on the sign mm-hmm. uh, and and how that works. So all of that is true. So if you yeah, if we come upon a survey that says, is it uh, is it the real presence uh, or is it a symbol? Well, right. they're both have both. truth, yeah, so sure. it, it, it's not an either or. Just as you had said so well, so yeah, that that's an important clarification. Yeah. But the fact that it's a symbol, uh, it's a different sort of symbol. It's the kind of symbol that makes present what it represents. Most right. symbols, uh, like a uh, a red dot on your uh, water faucet <laughs> that indicates something hot, right? exactly uh, that represents and it and it has a connection to it you know it's sure. like fire hot okay sure. i get it so that's how symbols work yes so that's good but the red doesn't bring you hot water no, it's not right. the red that does it in <laughs> this right. case in the case of the eucharist it actually it makes is. present what it yeah. symbolizes or god 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 does that work and it's so it's so you know I, I, we, we we all can run that question through our mind and uh, uh you just go back to the words of christ they're pretty clear Right. This this is my body. Um, I guess you could say, well, do this in remembrance of me. And you could kind of say, see, it's a symbol. Well, but even there, but even there, we're um, talking about memory in a in a technical sort of sense. Uh, uh, Anamnesis or anemnesis is a a way of uh, remembering something that happened in the past that also joins us to that event. So in Eucharist, we have to remember, too, we're not simply talking about uh, uh, Christ um, in the abstract, we're talking especially about being joined to his passion, right. his death, and his resurrection, right. that that becomes something that we become sharers in. So we join together under the cross at the Lord's table of sacrifice and uh, join with him right. in, in his passion through the Eucharist. All that is happening as we bow and say amen and receive together. Right. So when I when I was a kid, of course, um, several decades ago, uh, we would all kneel around the communion rail, mm-hmm. and and the priest would come, and only the priest at that time would come and distribute holy communion, and only on the tongue. And at some point, that all changed. Uh, presumably, Vatican II, 
you'd think um, I would have this distinct memory of, <laughs> of when that changed, even going from Latin to, to English, when that changed. Like one day, whoa, what happened here? But I don't have a distinct memory of exactly when that was. It had to be, uh, you know, late 60s or mid to late 60s. Um, and now we, we pretty much stand. Like you say, you can kneel, but pretty much stand for the reception of Holy Communion. Yeah, the um, norm is to stand. The norm and is that's to what stand. we teach. And it's uh, okay. You can still receive it on the tongue, or it's okay to receive it in the hand. Yes, and outside of something exceptional like a pandemic, that's totally up to the individual right. which they choose. Right. And that uh, that all a result of Vatican II, pretty much? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And, I mean, Vatican II, of course, going back to um, the early days of the church as well. Sure. So it's not— sure. it's not, yeah. It's not. Uh, it's not innovation, yeah, right, <laughs> you know. So right. this is uh, this is quite ancient. Yeah. And standing, of course, is is a symbol uh, not just of us now being kind of milling about aimlessly. Mm-hmm. It's, we we stand together with the risen Christ. Right. It's the posture that joins us together right. with Him in His risen state, and right. that is how we meet Him uh, in the Eucharist. Wow, that's it's so powerful. I I remember hearing somebody once said if. If more people believed that this was the body and blood of Christ and what Christ did for us, they'd be crawling to church. They'd be on their hands and knees coming to church. Yep. You know, I, I sometimes think we've all gotten a little bit too too casual. Yeah. You well, know. and that's, I think, part of why after receiving, com- after the community has all received communion and uh, the vessels have been put wherever they're, going to be put and and that can uh there, there's a little bit of flexibility there the the cleaning of the vessels mm-hmm. the purification does not have to take place during the mass they can be set on the credence mm-hmm. table you know what's what re, what remains of the hosts uh right. can be consumed or if there are many then it can be sent to the tabernacle uh the remaining blood of christ uh, gets consumed uh and then um there's not a there's not a separate heading in the ritual that says now is the great purification and all shall attend you know, it's not it doesn't have that level mm-hmm. of uh of importance relative to the other parts of the mass right. um so it is something that yes gets taken care of or can be taken care of right after mass and the vessels covered with a with a cloth until then and then after that it is the time where we um can have some silence. Mm-hmm. It, says it can be a period of sacred silence. And I think of that just as what you were describing, a time uh, you were talking about people crawling because of right. uh, the awesomeness of what's right. av- available to them now. Here we sit perhaps stunned mm-hmm. by the intimacy that God has just shared with yeah. us. That yeah. here, here we are dining with the Trinity, you know, <laughs> what, what, it's, uh, it, it, as, it, as Mary says, you know, um, how can this be? Yeah. It's just amazing. Well, I, I, I had a guest on last week talking about uh, the uh, adoration and saying, you know, I have all these times when I pray and when I read and when I, but she said, I just sit there with Jesus. I look at him, he looks at me. And I just got chills, like and he said, and just as you described the awesomeness of this. I mean, uh, here I am. I'm uh, riding my bicycle to church, and I'm out there in the sun and the wind and everything, and I go in that room, one on one with God. 
with the creator of everything, it's it's more than I think the brain can handle. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. Yep. There's a prayer that's said silently by the mm-hmm. the priest or the deacon uh, as they're purifying the vessels. Right. Uh, what has passed our lips is food, O Lord. May we possess in purity of heart that what has been given to us in time may be our healing for eternity. Beautiful, beautiful yeah. and very ancient uh, prayer there about you know the mystery of what is transpiring there. And then, then um, the prayer after communion. Yes. So, and that's a, that's a very important piece. It's another of these uh, parts that's proper to the specific day or season. So it, it's uh, it's always got a character that matches the rest of the liturgy, uh, and it's a, a beautiful um, uh, brief prayer that the priest uh, leads us in, and it. Uh, it's important to have that it have the continuity with the reception of communion. So mm-hmm. it's important that there, instead of silence, it's possible to have you know a song, a hymn, a psalm, uh, something like that, something of praise to God, right. uh, following uh, the communion chant, the communion hymn, uh, which is to unify the whole communion right. rite actually, um, and the people who as they participate in it. So uh, a- after that period of silence or song, then we have this prayer that concludes that central to the Mass, communion uh, rite. So the, mm-hmm. the really our, um, the, uh, for most people, I think it's the most intense uh, uh, part of, of the Mass. So it's important that we not add other kind of extraneous things like the announcements or something uh-huh. like that uh-huh. before the prayer right. uh, after communion. But we, we join together and, and, and pray. After that, the communion rite has has now ended. So that's when we transition then uh, into announcements. But the the rites in multiple places say, if necessary. Right. right? So right. we're not we're not, yeah, we're not begging yes. for a lengthy <laughs> right. litany of of uh, things that seem relatively petty compared to what right. we just celebrated. But yes, there there can be announcements, and that's the right time for them after the prayer. Uh, I, I sometimes communion. feel sorry for the person. Uh, who uh, maybe they're representing some group or something that we're going to meet, uh, you know, on Tuesday night. So we want to, and uh, that they have to pop up at that point, you know, and and, and it's like, oh, you know, yeah. like we're we're back to the mundane. If you not, not in a a bad way, but yeah. it, it's uh, considering what has just happened, what has just taken place. Yeah. But but it fits in a it way fits, in yeah. the concluding rites because the concluding rites are like if we if we're if we're at a if you've watched the Olympics and it's time for the toboggan there's a place where they start yep. climbing into the thing right, <laughs> right they right. and then they start or they slide it back and forth a few times and then they start yep. climbing it that's what's happening here in the con- concluding rites there's a launching uh, that's taking right. place and so if part of what is happening is we're telling them about some of the things they're being being launched to right. events of the parish coming up sure that's fine it, it fits you know genre wise in that um it i mean it the the contrast certainly highlights the importance of that prayer after communion and the right. communion right that it's uh, wrapping up you know it is it is different from that but it also has a a, a character of because we have received now we must go. Yeah. Now we are sent. So that's uh, that's then how the concluding rites uh, begin. Then and then we have the, you know, that flow that what we're used to. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. That greeting, and then 
to get people ready, one last prayer over them, a blessing, but mm-hmm. a, a blessing in, in this time that is kind of a, a commissioning. I mean, right. there's no blessing greater than the Eucharist that we receive, sure. but I think in my mind, this isn't something that I uh, found in the rites or whatever, but in, in my mind at least, this prayer is one of, of launching, of, of right. prepares us to be, to be sent forth. So, um, and it can't, it, sometimes it's that simple, you know, may Almighty God bless you, but there are times of the year where we'll have either a solemn blessing mm-hmm. or a prayer over the people. And those have two different, two different flavors uh, to them. Uh, but, you know, they'll be Advent related or, you know, related to whatever, whatever it is. For um, the solemn blessing, that's mm-hmm. the longer one. You'll hear that bow down for the blessing mm-hmm. uh, directive, and we'll we'll be bowed, and then there'll be uh, three amens that we'll give, right. and you're always you know we're always listening there to hear when the voice because we because it it's not a through Christ our Lord for each of right. these. There, each one ends in its own unique way, and so we have to be able to, to tune in and see when when the if we if we think the priest is really done or has he hit a comma because uh-huh, we don't yeah, want to say right. amen over this comma right and yeah. some of them some of them do have that and these are all addressed not to God but to us interesting mm-hmm. so uh, as you run the race of this present life may he make you firm in faith joyful in hope and active in charity so the priest is talking to us asking uh, telling us what the priest hopes God will do right. for us, essentially, and then at the end, and may Almighty and the and may the blessing of Almighty God. So that's the the solemn blessings, which are three part, and then we also have instead of that could be a prayer over the people, and here we are talking, the priest is speaking directly to God. So, for example, uh, may your family always rejoice together, O God, over the mysteries of redemption they have celebrated and grant its members the perseverance to attain the effects that flow from them through Christ our Lord. Amen. When, when would we be likely to hear that? So any, any uh, um, particular day like in Advent or Lent mm-hmm. or Easter or um, uh, Christmas season, sure. um, anything like that, yeah, solemnities, um, I don't recall exactly the rules about when a prayer over the people can be used, but there are there are lots of occasions when they can be. And what about the, the solemn so, blessing? And and same for the same, solemn same blessings, for the solemn. yeah, yeah. And uh, they've got here's one for if you're having the dedication of a church or in mm-hmm. celebrations for the dead, uh, if it's uh, different saints. There's one for the Blessed Virgin Mary, one for Saints Peter and Paul. And then set for ordinary time. So Sundays of ordinary time, uh, you could have um, uh, solemn blessings, one for the Holy Spirit. So mm-hmm. there, there are all kinds of uh, different types of solemn blessings. Well, so. And then uh, we, get, we get ready to leave. Yeah. So the priest makes the sign of the cross over us in that final blessing. It might be for, for folks who are interested in, in the details and who are really interested in making sure they follow exactly what the rubrics say. And they don't do anything that the rubrics don't right. say. It actually does not. At the beginning of the Mass, it does have us making the sign right. of the cross. Right. At the end, it doesn't say that we do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So has the priest doing it? I think, I think most of us do. I think most of yeah. us do. We're, we're taught to do that. <laughs> yeah. But if you're, if you're interested in those little details, it's actually not in there. Uh, for I, that fi- I find, I, I remember I was <laughs> covering a basketball game one time, and this one player before... Uh, he went to shoot a free throw, 
Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you know. And I, I instinctively, yeah. <laughs> I, I was sitting there at the press table. <laughs> I instinctively blessed myself. Yeah. It was just, it was that uh, just seeing some, seeing the, the sign of the cross. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I see, I think, more signs of the cross done at soccer games than at mass. Soccer? So, oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Big time in yeah. soccer. Yeah. Once in a while, a field goal kicker in, in football, but soccer all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially before a penalty kick. There you go, right. <laughs> and right. a goalie, too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And then, uh, wow, we're, we're almost we're almost out the we're door We're almost here. at the end, but yeah. you hear things uh, take a little different turn. Now, if, if the bishop is saying Mass, if you have what's called a pontifical Mass, then instead of... Um, yeah, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Um, uh, or actually, maybe it's after that. Yeah, no, it, it still includes the Lord be with you. But then the bishop uh, would say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And if you're at the cathedral, they'll all know to say now and forever. And then mm-hmm. he says, our help is in the name of the Lord. Uh, and then who made heaven and earth is the response. And then may almighty God bless you. So it's a little bit different there. And if uh, if this is at your parish and he's using the pontifical blessing, then you're, right, everybody sure. hopes that we've got some people from the cathedral there who know these responses because most people don't yeah. necessarily know them. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, and after that comes the uh, dismissal, mm-hmm. right? And the dismissal's uh, an interesting thing for, at least in, uh, in English, I don't know other languages, but in English we call this liturgy the Mass. And the place that that comes from is, and I'll go back to my favorite Latin scholar here, Bob Dunning. What, what are the last words of the Mass? Ite misa est. There you go. Yeah. Ite, and, and ite misa est translates to? Go, the Mass is ended. Well, sort of. Sort of. It doesn't really have the word ended oh, in it. Oh, that's true. We're saying it at the ending. Yeah, yeah it's true. But it's, uh, it's more like go. Go. It is sent. Yes. You yeah. know, we go back to that toboggan yeah. run, the, the launching uh, that's, yeah. that's happening here. This is the, this is the, wow. this is kind of the, like the starting gun of, yeah, yeah. of, of yeah, the next go phase. Out in the world now. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Go so, we, and we don't, we don't say the, the dismissals quite that way. We have different right. options, but it's, uh, they all say go. Yeah. In all of them, there's a command yeah. to vacate the church and do something else, which would be, uh, the living the rest of the Christian life. In fact, um, there, there's a place where it uh, in the in the general instruction of the Roman Missal it tells uh, why why they're dismissed. So, the dismissal. This is in number ninety for folks who like to look these things up. The dismissal of the people by the deacon or the priest, uh, and it, and then it goes on that it happens so that each may go back to doing good works, praising and blessing God. So that's what this. This uh, shoot takes us too, as we are sent out of the church, Very doing good, good works, praising and blessing God. I like to think of it, you know, the slingshot, and they're pooing us out exactly, out the, exactly, out the door yeah, out into the world. Right. Another metaphor could be the tide. You know, mm-hmm. in the in the life of sure. the church, in the life of a Christian, there there is a kind of like Ecclesiastes, you know, a time for flowing out mm-hmm. and a time for flowing back, a right. time for going out to right. uh, do this, do good works, praising and blessing God, and a time to reassemble as the whole mm-hmm. community to do so as the body of Christ in, in, in a beautiful uh, unity together, a, a time to go out uh, carrying, 
Christ's, you know, to to make to sacrifice our own selves right. as we uh, serve other people, and a time to come back and join together with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ yeah. um, for for the good of the world, a, a, a time where we serve in ways that aren't going to feel necessarily as poignant as right. a liturgy, right. um, but maybe uh, equally poignant in what we're, you know, we are bringing it, the presence of Christ wherever we go. Exactly. And then a time to come back and have that occur visibly together uh, in, in the, in, in this liturgy that links us to the to the heavenly liturgy and to and to all eternity, so wow. that that's a that's the flow there. So this is this is that inflection point where boom off off we oh, go goodness. again, and there will come again that time where we are are called back uh, together by the church bells or, or whatever it is to to regather and take on that the form of the community, the body of Christ in the future. Well, I, I can't tell you what a joy it's, it is to have you here and uh, to learn all this and. Uh, I'm sure a joy for our listeners as well. So thanks, thanks so much, Deacon, and uh, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again one day, one day soon. I hope. Sounds great. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Bob. Thanks so much. Thank you. Um, thank God. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town, uh, and throughout the diocese of Sacramento who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour. Uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about Uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. I was sure by now God, you would have reached down And wiped our tears away Stepped in and saved the day But once again I say amen And it's still raining But as the thunder rolls I barely hear you whisper through the rain I'm with you And as your mercy falls Raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. Almost gone How can I carry on 
If I can't find you But as the thunder 